Welcome to the Higher Ed Huddle, where we discuss the most relevant topics in higher ed. Today's guest is Orlando Leon, Vice President for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer, overseeing all things relating to technology at Fresno State. He was born and raised in San Francisco, California, and attended the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where he received multiple degrees in electrical engineering, computer science, and management science. He has over 20 years of experience in the information technology field with 15 years in higher education. Orlando spent his initial years after graduation from college as a software programmer and product manager at Oracle. He has spent the past 15 years in various technology leadership roles in higher education, first at UC San Francisco, then Stanford University, and now at Fresno State. He has the privilege and honor of working directly with students to help raise the next generation of leaders through technology, digital literacy, mentoring, coaching, and sharing life. Welcome, Orlando. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Joe. Pleasure to be here. Our topic today is about leadership and developing people. With the challenges facing higher education this year, there's been significant pivoting required and greater demand placed on IT organizations. CIOs have done a tremendous job navigating and leading teams through this, including yourself. So I'm curious, how did you get interested in becoming a CIO? Hmm. Well, I will say that that was not an ambition that I've had for, for the time that I've come from college and even working throughout. It really started with a person just in a coffee talk, I would say, we were, or a water cooler talk. We were just chatting. This was the executive assistant for my boss. And she just mentioned something along the lines of, Orlando, I can see you becoming a CIO in five years. Prior to that, I had no thought of doing anything like that. I was happy just helping and contributing in any way that I could. But that conversation started me and my own reflection and journey and thinking about, well, what, what does that mean to become a CIO? What does a CIO really do? What does it mean to become one? And do I really want to pursue something like that? So I would say that's how it really started that journey. And then that was a multi-year journey from that point on. That is an interesting story. I really appreciate that in that, um, you know, a lot of leaders get their start that way by an encouraging um, person, whether it's a leader in their own right or someone uh, of authority that they've come across in their career. So I, 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 um, I respect that, and I think that's wonderful. Uh, we need more leaders to do, to do that to others that are aspiring to be leaders or have no idea what to do and have those traits um, you know, that we see in leadership and in leaders today. And it, what it trait speaks, I'm sorry, Joe. It, it does speak a lot to how much it means to hear that. So as leaders and as people, we don't have to be formal leaders just speaks to how much and how important it is that if we sense something, if we, if we feel something about someone or we just feel like encouraging someone, that could mean the biggest difference in someone's life or career. Yeah, I like that point very much. It reminds me of a book by Robin Sharma, the leader who has no title. And one of his uh, really major themes in his book is really anyone can be a leader. It's just those traits um, that, that leaders have or that you see in leaders, uh, anyone can uh, have those traits. They Absolutely. can be developed. And speaking of traits, what do you find most important in good leaders? 
Joe, when I saw this question, I, I thought hard because in some cases the answer might be it depends. But I think what I would, how I would answer that in two broad topical areas. One, I would say someone who can build great teams. And that, that aspect of great could mean a lot of things. It, it definitely can be situational to whatever industry, company, or division that person belongs part of. But I would say diverse in all of its sense, not necessarily race, gender, ethnicity, but also in mindset, perspective, approach, technical skill sets. So diversity is important. A team that complements well with each other. So the people on the team hopefully are not of the same background, mindset, or experience set. And so that, that complementary aspect is something important. We might have heard in the past from, from other readings and sources that a great leader is someone who knows his or her own strengths and weaknesses and finds people that, can, that are, are better in, in many regards to that person. So I, I do believe strongly in that. And I would say caring is very important when thinking about someone uh, building great teams, a team that cares about the people in the organization. And then I would say the second broad area is someone who can motivate that organization or team, but do it in a sustainable way. Looking at this past year, it's been one that's been filled with, I would say like a roller coaster, news coming around the turn and around the corner that we couldn't anticipate or we tried to, but it, we saw surprises. And then it was a, it's been a long ride. It's not like a three to five minute roller coaster ride, but one that perhaps is, is not ending anytime soon. So in that sense, how, how have we motivated our own teams? And I think a good leader, a great leader can motivate in, in a sustainable way. That includes being empathetic to understand how, how the team is moving through things it includes that change and transition management, seeing that change is here. How do we anticipate those aspects and lead our teams through those aspects? I would say the, the leader also helps give back and, and, and is contributing to the team in a way that the team feels that it needs to be supported, whatever that means. It means having great vision. Um, I never saw myself as a visionary, but it means someone as I learned from my own coach, someone that can at least have that vision and share that vision with someone, even if that vision isn't anything revolutionary, but someone who could help paint that picture of what things might look like in the future and help align people toward that vision, move people toward that. Humility, I think, is a great aspect too. And that probably fits both with the building great teams and also motivating people. Personally, I, I, I don't prefer a leader who's always trying to point to him or herself but someone who's always playing back and empowering the team around that person. I liked all of those traits that you shared. It, um, it reminds me of an article that I came across a few months back that the number one trait of leadership was empathy. And that was one of the traits that you brought up. And I think that's extremely important, especially today. Most of the traits that you shared are really soft skills, you know, um, traits that can be learned. And certainly uh, I like to refer to them as power skills because the, the power that these traits have to really engage staff and to motivate them and really to inspire them to be great employees, great leaders themselves. So I, I, I really, I, that really resonates with me and I'm, I'm glad you shared those. 
Um, there are many tools at the disposal of leaders for strengthening, you know, skills and certainly the traits that you shared and developing staff. And one tool that you, st you started using in 2010 and continue to apply today is a behavioral assessment tool called DISC. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could spend just a few minutes and talk a little bit about DISC and what it means to you and how it supported you in becoming a better leader. Absolutely. Uh, I will say that there are many, many different types of profile and assessment tools. We know some of them by perhaps the true colors, the different colors of what someone might be or animals. There's Myers-Briggs, there's StrengthsFinders. My, my thought here is that finding a tool, any tool that is effective in supporting one's personal goals and career goals, that's perhaps the most important. And for me, that was DISC. DISC is generally speaking a tool that helps emphasize on communication preferences. And, and by that, it means that if I'm coming into a situation personally and I'm uh, in one main quadrant of this DISC assessment, I might have a, a um, I guess just a, a more higher priority question that I bring into a conversation. For mine, that would be along the lines of how I might support people. So if some, something comes in and, and let's say there's a big change coming, my first question according to this assessment and, and the theories behind it is, well, okay, how will that affect my people? And then from there, perhaps I span into the other areas of, well, what does that really mean? Why is this happening and, and who whom or who might it affect and how that might work out. So that's generally speaking what DISC is at a really high level. How it supported me in becoming a better leader is that it's given me a lot of great perspective and insight into approaching situations, both in the personal side of my life and also the career side. So just, just as a kind of a fun fact, I've tried to figure out how to use this in my marriage. And, and with family situations. And we know those dynamics are always really crazy at times, but sure. really important at times. But in the work setting, it's been very important because it helps me tying this back to the question about, about building teams and what are important traits for great leaders. I would say it's helped me understand, okay, well, I share a certain aspect in a, maybe a team meeting or with my, my boss or with a peer colleague in my cabinet and the first response was not what, not what I expected. Why might that be? And how might I become a better communicator if I can understand that person's perspective and approach better? And so DISC gives me that tool set to approach a situation where maybe I need to prepare better. Maybe it's a presentation to the academic senate. Maybe it's a presentation to a board or a presentation to my president or someone else. And therefore, I, I run these tools by, look at the topic area, and then try to fine tune my conversation style or my ability to try to influence. And so that's how I generally use the DISC assessment and the DISC tool set. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in how it's changed maybe your communication style with your, your spouse. <laughs> um, that would be very interesting. We can take that offline. But uh, thank you for sharing that. And I think Certainly that tool can be applied um, in developing people. And I wanted to shift uh, the conversation a bit to how you use that tool in developing and growing your people. Mm -hmm. So the first question I have for you is what is the importance of coaching and mentoring people? 
And what is the difference between the two? Absolutely. Both are very important. And I've personally benefited from both in my own life, again, personally and professionally. But let me highlight what I, I feel are the differences between the two. Uh, mentorship can happen formally and informally. It could be me approaching somebody and asking explicitly, can you be my mentor, Joe? And, and maybe defining what that might be. It could also happen informally where maybe it's not so, so much as I ask, but someone just comes into my life and, and asks me or just walks beyond, beside me in my own journey for a very brief time. And it's generally, mentoring generally touches on how someone perhaps speaks through their own personal experiences into what I'm going through. So there's a, there's a part that relates someone relating to what I'm going through, either through experience or something very similar. Coaching, it can be that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be speaking through experience. It could just be someone who's, who's trained through either formal training, certificates, or experience, but someone who asks really great questions. An effective coach will ask great questions to help me through self-reflection and, and introspection on, about something that I'm going through. And so coaching generally is touching on very specific scenarios or challenges or opportunities that I'm going through at that moment and speaks through, it could be experiences, but definitely through questions that helps me really in a lot of cases, figure out through my own experiences, how to approach something and through my own strengths. Now, what's the importance in using those tools to support my people? When I arrived at Fresno State in 2015, I, I quickly realized that my, my own leadership team and the, the people who weren't on the leadership team, it, it was perhaps something lacking where there was perhaps some guidance or formal types of relationships of mentoring and coaching where they can, where we could raise the bar for the organization in, in how we supported them. Many people thought, for example, being a leader meant becoming a manager. And so I tried my best to quickly say, no, no, I, I hope to find leaders and build leaders to be situational in every context. You don't have to have that formal title to do that. And I, I realized that coaching and mentoring needed to be a big, big part of that. So, so I'll start with that to say that it's, um, it's both are important and, and everyone should take part in that no matter what role they are in the organization. I assume you have a mentor or a coach and or both? Yes, I have a coach and I've had the same coach for over, over 10 years. It's, it, it is an executive coach that perhaps I first started to get to know in my own first leadership development program training. And I've specifically wanted this person to, to be my coach over my past several opportunities in my professional career. Mentor-wise, I, I would say I haven't had anyone formal per se. I've had these mentors throughout different leadership programs and we would maybe stay in touch for a year or so and then I would go on to a different type of mentoring relationship. But the coach has been that long-standing relationship that I've had and that's been really impactful in my own journey. Great. What tools do you find useful in developing your people aside from DISC? Yes, so we've talked about DISC and other assessments. I would say other useful tools could be a 360 assessment. A lot of times people would come to me and they would wonder, well, why is someone doing this or approaching me this way? Why, 
why can't I get along with other people? And so a 360 is always great in assessing someone's own self-perspective compared to what others perceive of, of them in terms of a work situation. I would say also career development tools. When I was at Stanford, they invested heavily in their HR organization and how they supported people. And one of them was a career readiness tool set. And, and there are probably a lot of these, but I went to a week-long workshop and I was able to go through a lot of these tools that helped me figure out, well, what, what might be some priorities for me and what might that look like as I build out my own career pathway? And so career development tools are really great. I would say stretch assignments and shadowing. Those are other useful tools in developing people. One question I would ask someone, and, and I would try to do this in, in, within my first couple of years, I would say to my executive assistant, could you please help me schedule one-on-one -on -one with every single employee in my technology organization? Now, at that time, I only had about 80 to 90, so maybe it's easier. But I know some CIOs and some vice presidents have into the hundreds of people, and it might be really hard. But I made it a priority because at least it, was, it fit well with my organization. And, and I thought it went well with almost everyone there. And I would ask them, where do you see yourself in maybe five years? Maybe it's longer. Is there a specific person, that role that you would want to go toward? And if they were able to answer that, that helps me, of course, think through some really practical next steps or questions, shadowing, uh, stretch opportunities, but maybe even, hey, have you asked that person to be your mentor, maybe? Maybe as an opportunity. Feedback, that's absolutely essential. Now, there's two aspects to that. It's a person willing to give the feedback, and then, of course, the person on the other side willing to receive that feedback and both have techniques and, and, and areas that I think are really important. But I think effective feedback, and that includes performance appraisals, I would say, but informal, regular, direct, helpful feedback is, is really essential in developing people. And I would say networking, as much as people may not like that aspect, it's been really helpful. And I would always ask my, my people on my teams, have you reached out to your peers to ask them about their experiences and perspectives? That would be one of the first things because we can learn so much from people outside of our institution. That yes, we know a lot, but boy, we can learn a lot from what people are doing around the nation and around the world. Yeah, to your point about feedback, uh, I was told uh, many years ago by uh, a CEO that I worked for that all feedback is a gift. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, uh, she was... Um, Quite a smart lady, and and certainly uh, was was not shy of providing feedback, both uh, constructive and really positive, uh, good feedback. And I I will always remember that. And um, I, I think building uh, a culture of providing feedback mm -hmm. and really um, encouraging people to be honest and open with each other uh, in a way that really helps the entire organization, if not just. Um, helping the individual as well. And um, the, the other thing I was going to ask you is, um, do you encourage um, all staff within your organization to reach out to other individuals within the organization to be mentors or the coach or to shadow each other? Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I'll, I'll connect that to the point where you mentioned about building a culture. It, it does take time to make that feel like it's natural. So yes, 
quick answer to your, your question about whether I do that with my people in my organization and to everyone, yes. But it's one thing to say it, and it's the second thing maybe to follow up to help people to see, well, okay, is this just talk or is there action tied to that? So back again, when I arrived here at Fresno State, about almost six years ago now, I, I think people heard me that first week when I had my first division all hands meeting. They probably were very skeptical. Okay, who's this new person, probably young person coming in? And, and telling us what to do or telling us about all these great things that just maybe didn't fit the culture. But over that next year and beyond, you would be solidifying that culture of saying, okay, yes, feedback, performance appraisals, um, working right maybe in the trenches, meaning what this person says, that helped build over time the trust that was needed, the trust and the vulnerability to be able to say, yeah, have you spoken with this person maybe ask this person why there's this negative aspect or, or maybe there's this feeling that may have built up over time, over years of a relationship. So uh, it's been something that I've been encouraging people since I've gotten here. And I would say maybe into year two and three, that started to become more fruitful in how I've seen people respond to that type of feedback. But that first year, I think I was met with a lot of skepticism because of the culture that hadn't been built yet. I imagine, you know, that was um, a lot of change for people uh, doing doing that in a way that hasn't been done before. And, and maybe that's the first time for some individuals working in higher ed. It's not something that you see uh, very often. And if you have employees that have been at Fresno State for their entire career, it's new. And it's, um, I can certainly understand the resistance or the skepticism that you would see in that. But it sounds like it, you know, it just takes a little bit of time. Um, and, and certainly, um, you know, it, it works its way in, into the organization and people get on board and they see the benefits, certainly. Um, most, most people do and, and will always have the detractors and the naysayers. Sure. And, and in some ways, as we've talked about feedback, the one thing I would encourage my teams to do is not necessarily go get the feedback that you want to hear, but to try to get to those squeaky wheels to really understand, okay, well, if there's a concern about rolling something out, implementing a, a project, whatever it might be, we actually need to hear all sides of the, of the story and, mm -hmm. and really understand that so we can try to be as helpful as possible to the campus. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, we were, we were hitting upon some of these tools and one of, one of the aspects that you shared is really the importance of using the tools in a practical way or applying them in a practical way. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you do that? Sure. Let's let's touch on a couple that, that we've talked about already. So the DISC tool, for example, or take the 360. So you spend 20 minutes taking a, a DISC assessment or Strings Finder or Myers-Briggs. What do you do with that? How do, you, how do you interpret that? How do you make that practical? So one way is through coaching. So tying that type of assessment and the results of that to helping someone understand, okay, what does this really mean? And does this, is this accurate, is this not? So when I hosted my leadership development program, about a cohort of 10 people over 12 months, we did the DISC assessment in about the second or third month, and then I brought in an executive coach 
to do one-on-one -on -one debriefs of those assessments, about an hour to 75 minutes. And then we did a group debrief together. This helps the person solidify, okay, taking that assessment and understanding how that might apply in one's personal life. So personalizing that assessment. So that's one practical aspect where then the coach, and then I would follow up later on in, in our group sessions. Okay, well, let's talk about these in real life situations. Let's take your assessment, take a real life situation and what you're going through maybe right now and applying these role playing, for example, is a great, great way to do that. So that's what we did with the DISC and then how we followed up. And then I would encourage people to practice. Okay, so if you are a D or if you are an S or a C, well, how will that play out? Let's, let's talk that through. So we had a lot of opportunities over the remaining nine months of the program to practice these in situations. 360s are the same way. You take the 360, you have people fill it out, but then what do you do with that information after? So it's, it's applying the feedback and talking with others, hopefully in, in, in an honest and vulnerable way to understand if these are really truths that we all have to work on. Stretch assignments was another practical way. If someone has a challenge with communicating effectively, let's give that person an opportunity to do that more. I had uh, hired on an innovation architect in 2016. That person was never given the opportunity for one reason or another to present by himself. And so I said to this person, well, let's find some opportunities for you. Let's do that within the school setting, but let's look for opportunities to do this regionally, but maybe even nationally. And ever since that time frame, that person's presented maybe at least a dozen times. And, and while that person's still working out some kinks, just the ability to, right now I look back and, and I'm so proud of this person being willing to step into that, mm -hmm. taking that very courageous step to present by himself and on his own. And he's doing a really great job. So I think those opportunities where maybe the first stretch assignment, there's a little more hand-holding, but after that, these people might learn to grow and do these opportunities on their own. That's wonderful. I think that's a great opportunity for people really to, you mentioned stretch, uh, stretch opportunities. I think certainly um, standing in front of a, a group of people and presenting uh, is a great way to, to you know, uh, get out of your comfort zone and learn some some new skills and learn learn some important skills in pre presenting ideas and, and and telling stories. So I think that's wonderful. You've talked about how the DISC tool is is applied in a practical way in your organization. Can you talk a little bit about how it's approached? Um, how the tool approach is applied to the greater organization? I think you've talked a little bit about how DISC is used at Fresno State at a larger scale. Mm -hmm. So I, I can touch on that maybe in two aspects. One is just, again, with any profile or assessment tool, when, when that tool becomes more broadly used, the benefit there, of course, could be that there's a more common language or vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So when I say DISC and someone never really looked into it, it's, it's well, okay, well, what is that? Does that make sense? But the more people that engage and use that tool, then it becomes more of uh, perhaps an okay and more recognized tool set. So at Fresno State, we actually have standardized on a few different tools. One is the Strengths Finders, 
And that's been a great tool to help people understand how to build a, a good team together. Myself, I've used a disc and, and more than half, almost three quarters of my own technology organization has gone through the disc. So that now helps us as we move forward. And then institutionally, I have encouraged our, our main director overseeing organizational effectiveness. And she and I have talked about rolling out DISC more and more. So while it hasn't gone to, let's say, the institutional Fresno State level, we've been using it in certain situations and we've seen it help benefit in the different programs that we have applied it to. So I would say as it grows out, it does help in terms of um, building the, the culture and the mindset for people to use. And I would say the DISC specifically has been really good to help bridge the concept of bridging, which means to, to understand where someone else might be as we start to apply a tool like DISC to imagine, okay, that person might be a certain type of person. And then if I'm over here, a different type of person in terms of the profile assessment, how do I perhaps meet in the middle depending on uh, the, the, where that person is. So, so that's all about applying the DISC. And the more we are able to understand that as an institution, I think the easier it is to effectively communicate and, and influence and support the campus in many ways. Great. Orlando, how, how does the DISC tool apply across race and ethnicity across campus in your opinion? And what's been your experience? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this, this one is, is a good question. It's a great question because I think with any tool, we always have to ask the question, is this specific to the United States? Is it specific to technology organizations? Or can this apply more broadly to whichever institution, context, culture? If I move over to Europe and work one day, can this still be effective? And so what I, what I will first say is that my coach who's showed me a lot about this, she's looked into the data and the research. And she does say that they've done a lot of studies on the DISC and how it's applied internationally, even to some remote tribes. They've, I've, I don't know how they did this, but there is data that shows that yes, it does apply across race and ethnicity. What I'll say personally about this is that it, it does take a foundation of perhaps honesty and, and reflection and observation. And what I mean by that is that we could, we could approach this like a lie detector test. I could try my best to impersonate someone else or something else. And, and of course I could try to beat the system, so to speak. But if I'm truly here to support my colleagues, then I will approach my relationship with someone else with who I really am. And I will also try to interpret and understand where the other person is coming from. So this is perhaps the empathy in practice. And so if I'm able to understand that, then it doesn't matter if the person is a certain gender, race, ethnicity, or any other ability status. It's really getting to the heart of, okay, well, help me understand where you're coming from. Now, I don't have to ask that specific question. Sometimes people might not be able to answer. But the DISC helps me in asking questions, asking perhaps the right questions to then get at, okay, let me try to understand what are, what are your priorities as you're approaching a certain challenge? 
and and really in practice i haven't seen it really matter if it's a certain type of person or a certain background of a person i like that answer and it it um it reminds me of one of the key takeaways i i uh, learned in going through the disc uh, myself is uh, a greater self-awareness that i think is important and certainly um, not everyone has, uh, you know, a high self-awareness and as we, as we work in more diverse, uh, environments, I think it's important to, to have that self-awareness and, and really understand, um, and, and have empathy for others. Um, and certainly this tool is a good way to really understand, um, how we operate, how we communicate, how we interact and engage with others, especially in our teams you know, in our organizations. So and, I think maybe, maybe if I can add one other aspect that's really interesting is that we, we ourselves, uh, this, this touches on perhaps nature versus nurture. I myself am someone who's kind of in the middle when it comes to being introverted versus extroverted, meaning how do I, how do I recharge myself in a situation when I feel mentally or emotionally or physically trained? And if I'm more introverted, I would prefer to spend some quiet time. That could be reading, it could be running, mainly just doing something on my own. If I'm extroverted, I probably will prefer to be in a social group or in a gathering where I can, can get energy from those around me. Now, professionally, what does that mean? I, I could apply to be someone who does a job that is mainly frontline. So think someone who sells a car. What kind of what stereotypes might we have about someone who sells a car? Probably someone very excited, someone who can uh, work well with others, someone who could tell a story, someone who could do all these things. I know for myself, and it, I don't need a DISC assessment to tell me, but the DISC assessment has validated that, that's probably not my best place to land for a career. Now I could do it, but what happens though, is that when I get stressed out, or things happen around me that cause me to really um, kind, of, kind of survive. That's when I go more toward my natural state, which is someone who is perhaps a little bit more introverted, someone who's a lot more analytical, someone who'd rather be away uh, by myself, maybe running, maybe walking along the beach by myself, as opposed to going out and socializing. So I think that's an important aspect that doesn't have to be necessarily related to this, but it is something that I would say um, is something really important when we think about how someone is in a natural state versus what they might be in their current role. That, that's a great, great story. And I think it um, uh, leads me to just share with you when I first started in IT in higher ed, I worked for um, a CIO who was an introvert. And every day they were exhausted. At the end of the day, they would say, you know, Joe, I'm exhausted. Um, and the reason was because she was an introvert, but she had to be an extrovert most of the day in dealing with the cabinet, dealing with faculty, or just, uh, just the interactions at that level required her to be an extrovert. And she was really an introvert. And so she had to do it for her, for the role that she was in, but it was something that really exhausted her. So this kind of leads me to, to ask you, you know, summar, summarizing some of the information you shared, which has been outstanding. What lessons learned can you share with other leaders? 
Yes, thank you. That That's something that I always try to ask myself. And so uh, I'll say that there's a lot where choice is, is really a big part of this. I personally choose to try to pick the growth mindset for how I approach life, both personally and in my career. And, and sometimes that means I try to be as optimistic as I can, even in the year 2020. There's surely a lot that I could maybe complain about. But when I think about, wow, I still have my health. I, I still have all my family members close to me that I can say they're, they're healthy. I have a home. I have a working heater. And, and a few months ago, it was working air conditioner when it was 110 <laughs> out. I can choose to look at those things and really say, life could be a lot worse. So that's the first thing, growth mindset. And so for myself, what I would say and encourage others is to encourage you, how can you continue to learn and grow? I think we're always trying to learn and we're always trying to have that mindset. But what does that mean practically to continue to learn and grow? For me, it, it means to proactively seek out feedback, especially feedback that might not be so pleasant. How do I get that? And I think the higher up we grow, grow and go in our careers, the harder it is to get that feedback for one reason or another. Maybe some people look at someone like, oh, that's a VP. I, I can't give real feedback to that person, can I? Even from my own boss, the president of the university, I don't know if I, if I get that really good, constructive and helpful feedback as often as I would want. So I have to find other ways to get that. And so the coach actually helps, my coach helps provide some of that. And I think that's really, really helpful. And the second thing I would say, encouraging those, uh, our listeners today, another lesson learned for me is I'm glad that DISC works for me. I would encourage that whatever tool that works for you, that, um, that you can pick one and, and then really grow in that area and learn about that and apply it in a very practical way. And it does take time for me, 10 years later into using the disc, I'm still learning a lot. I'm still practicing it all the time. And then to learn what other secondary tools are out there and the strengths of the other tools, because one tool won't fit all. And so what are the other tools that we can learn about and apply in those situational aspects that will surely come into? So perhaps that's where I leave at the end of the day. I'm always still learning, Joe, always. <laughs> Me too. I, I think that's wonderful. And, you know, one of the ways that I, I enjoy learning is talking to people like you, obviously, but uh, also reading. I, I try to read uh, as much as I can, nonfiction, but also I think it's good to have a well-rounded uh, reading library. Um, so my last question to you is uh, what book do you gift most and why? And this could be a professional development book, or if you choose to share another one, that's great too. Yes, thank you. That's, that's a fun one and a good one. I, I look at my bookshelf at home and here, and of course my wife says that I, I need to get rid of some books or donate or whatever it might be. So maybe <laughs> this is a great time to, to do some cleaning out at the end of 2020. So I since, since my role here, that I invest so much in trying to develop others. I would say one main book that I've used is from Harvard Business Review. It is the 10 best reads on emotional intelligence. It provides a quick, really quick reading on several, I think it's over about a dozen different perspectives on emotional intelligence, empathy, things like that. 
that's perhaps my go-to, especially during the leadership development programs that I've led for three consecutive years. Taking a break now, but that's a really good one. And if someone is interested in what they read, they can dig into the book recommendations from that. Another book that I really, really love is just one that gives perspective on team building, which is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. That's a good one as well. But I'll, I'll step back and say the best book perhaps is the best one that helps someone reflect and dive deeper on any topic. So when we think about situational leadership and I think about my own professional uh, relationships with people when they come to me for mentorship or just a quick conversation, I'll try my best to listen and understand what that person's going through. And if I've got a book in mind, I'll encourage them, hey, take a look at this book. Or, or maybe I will refer them to, to someone else if I just don't have one in mind. But I think the best book is the one that will help you to reflect and ask good questions and then to dive deeper. That's, those are some great books. I've read a few of them. Um, and I, I really appreciate your time. I, I, liked, I liked the lessons learned that you shared, the, the growth mindset, and really, you know, whatever tool you choose, really applying it in a practical way and also seeking out other tools that have other strengths that can complement the tools that you use. And I think those are wonderful lessons to be learned, certainly in leadership and developing, developing your people. And um, with that, I, I really want to thank you for joining me today. It's been an outstanding conversation. I learned a lot and hopefully our, our listeners will, um, you know, listen and take away a few great, uh, ideas and suggestions, and certainly your lessons learned are, are spot on. So thank you, Orlando, for joining me today. Thank you, John. Thanks for the opportunity as well. Great. You can find our podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Check back next month for another great topic and another great guest. Until then, stay well. Stay well.